Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Plutov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. So we're continuing with what we started last week, and I will read it to you again. The Master Fugai was considered very wise and generous, and yet he was most severe, both with himself and with his disciples. He went to the mountains to sit in meditation. He lived in a cave, and when he was hungry, he went to the village for supplies. One day, a monk called Bundo, attracted by Fugai's austerities, called at the cave and asked to stay the night. The master seemed happy to put him up, and the next morning prepared rice gruel for him. Not having an extra bowl, he went out and returned with a skull he found lying near a tomb. He filled it with gruel and offered it to Bundo. The guest refused to touch it and stared at Fugai as if he'd gone mad. At this, Fugai became furious and drove him out of the cave with blows. Fool, he shouted after him, how can you with your worldly notions of filth and purity think yourself a Buddhist? Or we could say Christian or Muslim or what anybody, you know, you're following the path, whatever you call the path, whatever the name of it is. Yeah? Anyway, how can you think yourself as a true follower, we could say. So some months later, uh, the master Tetsugai visited him and told him that he thought it was a great pity that he had forsaken the world. And Fugai laughed out loud and said, oh, it's easy enough to forsake the world. The difficult thing is then to become a true Buddhist or a true man. Hmm? Yeah. And I hope that uh, most of you here, I would be nice if all of you had uh, <clears throat> some understanding of this anecdote. And I would prefer, of course, that the understanding be based on some kind of an experience rather than on your thinking. Yeah. Now, the, the method that we follow here, as I started to say before, is we follow in the footsteps of my teacher, and then, then the teacher before him and the teacher before him. And in some instances, it's quite difficult. And uh, in some instances, it's quite severe. Uh, we certainly are not a goody-goody on a goody-goody trip. No. 
this whole means is a method of taking yourself in hand and of facing and coping with this world in which we find ourselves. As it is, and not how we wish it to be. As it is, as we find it. And this takes some doing on our part. And I think we should remember that we do, we have this choice, you know, either we do or we do not do. You know? And if you do not do for yourself, nothing will ever come about. How could it? Hmm. Because after all, we do, we are old enough to know that there is no fairy godmother. There is not really a tooth fairy. Uh, there is no Prince Charming. <laughs> well, and I'm not Cinderella. <laughs> but there is something, and that we can call a being, uh, or uh, we could say true man. There is a true man. And the old Rinzai used to say, and he is always entering and leaving the gates of your face. Who is that true man? Now, if you enter this world of Zen, I mean, if you enter it sincerely, uh, you will never again be the same. This world, this that we call phenomenal existence, we live in a world of phenomena. This phenomenal existence is a process, and we call this process becoming. We are always in a process of becoming something. We look around in nature and we see that the seed is planted and becomes a little shoot and the little shoot becomes a sapling, and the sapling finally becomes a huge tree, and it may have flowers and it may have fruit, and then it will have birds nesting, and the birds are squabbling and singing, and they are having families. All in this, from this little bitty seed. Huh? Phenomena. Now there is another world there is another reality which is called noumenal. There is a noumenal reality. And this is the world which we do not see with our eyes nor touch with our hands. It's one we try to think about a lot. And we sometimes call it an energy world. Now, this noumenal and phenomenal realities exist simultaneously. Yum, yum, yum. Whenever you see a phenomenon, you are also seeing the noumenal. So that calling it another world is incorrect in a way. It is one world with two aspects. Hmm? Yeah. Same world. It is not this one and then that one and then this one and then that one and then this one and then that one. 
Same world. The energy of this noumenal reality moves so rapidly that the senses, we, cannot cope with this rapidity. And so in some manner, which science doesn't yet understand, we make a picture. We create an image, and we take that image, that picture, and we throw it right back out. We project it, we, it is said. We throw it right back out onto that mass, that energy world, from which we derive the picture. Hmm? Now the words noumenal and phenomenal reality, these two aspects of the one, we, have, we borrow from Kant. He, he used these words when he was trying to describe uh, what he knew about it. And of course, he, he said in his book that um, we would never ever know the other world, the other aspect, the noumenal, because we couldn't see it. Eventually, in this process of becoming, we began to look for being. The being in the becoming. Hmm? Now, as we make progress toward this being, of course it is first, as we approach it, it is in the mind. We have an image of it. It is reflected. Just as the tree out there is reflected, so the image of this beingness is reflected. Uh, we have the image. We have not yet become that being. Hmm? Until that event does take place, I am concerned with Lola. Huh? Yeah, this I, this ego. Yeah. And remember what I have said too, that without this ego, we cannot function in this phenomenal world. Without being, we cannot function in the noumenal world. Hmm? And I say to you, as I had another teacher once upon a time who also said, Keep your levels sharply differentiated. Hmm? There is this phenomenal world, uh, and much of it is imperial fact. And we live in it and we recognize it as such. And then there is the noumenal world, which eventually we will come to recognize as we do this one, but in a different way. And this is something we have to prepare ourselves for also. While you are putting forth this effort, 
Keep your levels sharply differentiated. Now, in this phenomenal world, uh, we find questions. There are questions of right and wrong, uh, good and bad, justice and injustice, and so on and so on. We live in discrimination and judgment. And then we also have such things as uh, high and low, and near and far, and love and hate, etc. Novel, novel? Who's Yeah. <laughs> now, far and near and high and low is not necessarily what we have been taught. These come about quite naturally. You know, we've got two eyes and we see. You see the tree. Mm? It's far away from me, isn't it? To, you know, it's, close, it's further away than that. Yeah. We have also, though, uh, with, on top of this, we are augmented by the beliefs of our parents and our peer group, uh, what we accept and what we have acquired as we go along through life. Yeah. The tree. I'm closer to the tree than you are. See, we can say such things. And empirically, it is so. Hmm? In this phenomenal world. There's space. The space between me and the tree is shorter than the space between Bill and the tree. Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> space. Near and far. Look at all the space in here. Hmm? If there weren't any space in this room, nobody could fit into it. Could you? If there weren't any space. No. Lao Tzu, you know, he says it very well. Thirty spokes unite in one nave, and on that which is non-existent, that is on the whole in the nave, depends the wheel's utility. Clay is molded into a vessel, and on that which is non-existent, on its hollowness depends the vessel's utility. By cutting out doors and windows, we build a house, and on that which is non-existent, on the space within, depends the house's utility. Therefore, existence, existence, this, we're in existence, huh? We, existence means to stand out. We stand out. We're in existence. Existence renders actual, but non-existence renders useful. Good Chinese, huh? Mm. Mm. So, the eye is empty. The room is empty, huh, we say, it's space. The eye is empty. Otherwise, you couldn't see. The ear is empty. Otherwise, you couldn't hear. The mouth is empty. 
The stomach is empty. The womb is empty. Otherwise, nobody would be. And the mind? <laughs> it was empty once upon a time. It was empty. And it is empty except when you allow it to be cluttered with thinking. Then it's a mess. Sometimes. <laughs> good mathematical thinking, if I could do it, I would like that. I think that's pretty good thinking. It's a language all in its own. And now, <clears throat> you know, so Zen keeps stressing this empty mind, you know, or the no mind. No mind, which means no thinking mind. Now, if your thinking is not going on, Say there were a split second, and which happens every now and then. There's a split second when you're not thinking. And in that split second, what does your mind look like? How does it appear to you? I mean, you can see it, believe it or not. You can see it. You don't have any eyes inside, but you can see inside. Hmm? What does a mind appear? How does a mind appear? And do not tell me empty. <clears throat> so anyway, back to space is not what it appears to be. Space appears to us to be empty because of our senses. There's something that, that's there that we can't see because of its tremendous volition. <clears throat> so that must be moving slower than this. But we look out there and still can't see it. So we make this image, we project the image, and we say, oh, look. There is a tree. Hmm? What is present? What's there? And don't, you can't say tree now. What is there? What is present? <clears throat> well, we could say it is a pattern of energy. Huh? And it's surrounded by limitless energy. All eddies and whirls of energy. It is not a thing. And it is not an object, and it is not an entity. However, in the noumenal world, energy, a pattern of energy. In the phenomenal world, tree. We label tree. Hmm? <clears throat> Now, there is a slight problem with this whole thing. <clears throat> Either thinking is still so new to us, <clears throat> or we have given it such credence that once we have labeled something, bum, 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 uh, end. That's all there is to it. 
It's a tree. Yeah. The mind is a snapshot tree. I know what it is. I know what it is. We don't know anything of the kind. We just have a label for something we have seen. What it is, we don't know. Even when you say, well, it's a whirl of energy, you still don't know what it is. Hmm? Now. <clears throat> now, if you're trying to train yourself, which I think you should discipline, we call it, huh? Yeah. What about training the thinking to a more direct, correct way of thinking? See, not to be satisfied with a word. What progress one makes in this whole overall process toward being depends a great deal on what we think, on how we think. If the thinking is erroneous, we're going to wind up behind Robin's barn. Hmm? Yeah. We follow our thinking. We have made some kind of a god of it, that as long as I can think it, it's true. I have seen people act on this thing. Oh, man. I used to work in a real estate office. Hmm. And the people there in answering the phone, they would spew out all this stuff. And once they'd heard themselves say it, because they had heard all these nice words, tremendous belief. Tremendous belief in what they had said, in their words, in their thinking. And it wasn't anywhere near what it was supposed to be. Boy, missing the mark all over the place. You know? So you follow your thinking, and if it's not correct, you wind out out in left field. So let's be very careful what we think. And by that, I don't mean careful between a good thought and a bad thought, good and bad. Huh? A thought is a thought. Hmm? It fills the mind with information. That's all. It's just up there making noise. And we're feeding the mind all the time. We read and we talk and we listen and we're feeding the mind. And our whole ongoing, the whole process of becoming awake depends on two factors. Correct information but you feed your mind, and correct meditation. These are the two legs on which man stands and walks. Hmm? Yeah. <clears throat> now, space. The tree. It's a whirl of energy. It's a pattern. It's not an entity but the eye comes in contact with that energy. And do you see it? No. I can't say yes and I can't say no. 
And the sight does, you know, there's a strange thing with it. it the, because the movement is so rapid, you know, it just says, oh, stop, I can't cope with this, you know. And somehow or another, there arises in the mind an image of that tree. And we all see the same tree, more or less, in the same shape, so it becomes an empirical fact. Yeah, that's our process of becoming. We learn to project images onto worlds from, of energy from which it was derived. We paste it on, as it were. The energy world is the noumenal reality. The phenomenal world is this image reality. In our thinking, we think image. Our thoughts are images. They're not energy, although we use energy to keep them moving. So we have image. The tree is the concept. And that image is in you. That image is in you. You have projected the picture out there, but it is in you. The concept is in you. The word is in you. What's out there? What is this that we call space? Now, space is a word. It's a concept. It is something we have projected. What are you looking at? You look at me. What are you looking at? Hmm? Hmm. A form and a shape. Hmm? A concept. You have a concept of what you think I am. I'm an image in my mind. I'm an image in your mind. You know, they don't always coincide. And this upsets us. Huh? Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as a concept. But the day is going to come if it hasn't already arrived for you when you will see that I, that this simple little word I that means so much to us is nothing but a thought. Hmm? Oh, and this I, you know, we're so busy aggrandizing it, we're plumping it up, you know, and, and defending it, and all the crazy things we do just to keep a deluded mind deluded. Interesting, aren't we? Yeah. As Saint Simeon said at one time, in our incredible self-deception, we think we are something not unimportant. Yeah. We have thought ourselves away from the source of being. Hmm? And the strange thing is, you can't think your way back to it. <laughs> huh? You cannot use the same method from which you got out of there to get back in again. You can't. You've got to drop it all. Yeah. Now, Einstein and, and the science, scientists of his ilk 
you know, have postulated that time and space are not separate. You know, that time is a fourth dimension of space. Now, space, as we are aware of it, has length and depth and breadth and then time. And all these four together are a now continuum. Now, 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 now. It's always the present, which you can't think. As soon as you've thought present, it's already past. Yeah. But take away space, and you take away time. You move out of this phenomenal world into the noumenal world. No space, no time. Hmm? <clears throat> which does not invalidate the phenomenal world, where there still is space and time. However, let us say you moved into this energy world, this noumenal world, and there's no space and time. Whereabouts are you at? <clears throat> hmm? <clears throat> if you say Escondido or San Marcos, that's incorrect. Uh, you're trying to use what we call space as a referent in no space. See? Well, I'm in this building. Well, that also is incorrect. Well, uh, <clears throat> I'm in my body. Dolly Wump wise, huh? Body and spirit we have got. Yeah. Where are you? I mean, all the time, really, where are you? You're in, in the phenomenal world and you're in the noumenal world. But whereabouts in the noumenal world are you? So, see, no space. We don't know where we're at. No, no points of reference. There's a tree over there, and there's a tree over there, and in between, here I am. See, I know where I am because I know there's a tree over there, and I'm in this building, and there's a tree over there. Numinal world, you don't have that. Huh? Now, also now, not having anywhere, what happens to when? Hmm. We have no idea when. It's never 1 o'clock, or 12 o'clock, or 10 o'clock, any of it. That moment, we have transcended what we could call a prison, because it keeps us tightly bound here. And once we're out of the prison, we have freedom. It is a freedom to be, but there is no time and no space. We're free, totally free. Okay, now, how can you, this is uh, uh, Fugai talking, how can you with your worldly notions of filth and purity think yourself a Buddhist? That is, think yourself a true seeker. 
as long as you are thinking in terms of duality and non-duality. Now, we think, and with thinking we analyze, and we dissect, and we pull things apart, and then we try to put them back together again. But ever and ever and ever into littler things and littler things and littler things. Hmm? It's, uh, doctors this day and age. Oh, we're getting sleepy, huh? Maybe we could use a little air conditioning? Something, Kimmy? They're getting very sleepy. We're either going to go home pretty soon, or I'm going to be talking to myself. What? No, you won't have it on very long. So. tell you a little story and see if you can hear me still over the drone of the of the thing. Big difference. Great. Fine. Uh, and most of you know this anyway, but I'll just tell it. I recently I didn't realize how specialized doctors were. It was not terribly long ago I went to have my eyes checked, and she found a little spot on my eyelid that she was concerned about. Uh, so she sent me to a specialist. All he did was treat eyelids. That's all. Period. Eyelids. And I, was, and I said to her, does he have enough business to keep him busy? I mean, you know, can he support himself with just eyelids? Oh, yeah. Big deal. He's an MD, an ophthalmologist, and specializing in eyelids. Now, that's how, you know, this is going pretty far. Hmm? Yeah. Anyway, duality is something we've got to cope with here. And in the meanwhile, we're looking for this everlasting light. We are the light looking for the light. You know? And you take something like this little rock, which is very heavy to my state of consciousness. And, um, you know, it's a kind of a brown color here. And I have projected this kind of an image on it. Huh? It is heavy and it's brown and it has a peculiar shape. Very different than the light that you're looking for, huh? Huh? You know what this is? We call it a rock. Hmm? It's crystallized light. Why stand ye gazing, huh? Yeah, you know, it is so close, you know. You know, and waning, well, I won't go through, all through that story again, but waning, you know, with his, when he pulled his, this uh, uh, the cape and the bowl from the rock, you know, because the other guy couldn't lift him. And the guy says, how do you do that? And he says, this rock is my faith. This rock is my faith. Hmm? 
And we have the hymn, of course, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. understand a little bit of something that's going on here. There's one light, and it varies in degrees. You know, it's like a whole spectrum. But it's still one light. So let's not make two out of everything, huh? That here it's bad and there it's good. Here it's dark and there it's light. Uh-uh. There is one light, and it has these different phases. In one state, it is sleeping. Sleeping. Huh? Sleeping. In one state, it is dreaming. They're not running around this morning. And then in one state, it is self-conscious. And in one state, it is conscious. And then in one state, it is supra-conscious. And then it goes beyond, and we won't worry about that right now. Well, let's just get conscious. <laughs> ah, right now we're self-conscious, huh? It's all one truth. Different aspects of one truth. You know, a true seeker, a true seeker, and they're not so plentiful as we would like, you know. There are a lot of people that profess to seek but they find that the road is not what they had anticipated. And so it's not to their liking. And so they drop the search. And they placate themselves with what they think, you know, however, whatever they think. They placate themselves. Well, I don't need that. It is true that there are different versions, different places one can go, and not everybody fits into the same knothole, you know. But a true seeker will go through everything that is necessary, and he will forget himself in order to come to himself. And it was Dogen Zenji, the Soto Zen, you know, who said, to forget the self is to know the self. Yeah. There was a long time ago, and there was a man whom they finally called Saint, Saint Anthony. And he was given a glimpse of what he called snares, traps, you know, which we could call the conditioning of consciousness. And he saw that and he said, oh, Lord, he cried out, Lord, Lord, how can anyone ever be saved? And his answer came. You know, out of himself, really. Humility. And obedience to an other, the other power. Not to ego me. You know, the ego doesn't know humility. Oh, it can put on a facade of humility, but it doesn't really know humility. Me only knows me. Believe it. Yeah. It is self-centered. Huh. And this love of self, of the ego self, is the cause of our sorrows. It's our big problem. And all the things that we might do, depending on what uh, uh, tradition we belong to, I was almost going to say outfit. 
and mustn't do things like that. We can pray and we can fast and uh, we can keep a vigilance, you know, and we can meditate and we can read scripture. And all of this means nothing without some humility, a lot of humility. We can't go around reading and saying, oh, you see what I've done? See what I have accomplished? Yeah. We do this subtly sometimes. You know, we will say something and expect a, uh, somebody to say something about, gee, that's pretty great, huh? <clears throat> I know one time I said something to Henry a long time ago, and it was kind of, you know, give me a compliment. It's very subtle. And he just turned to me and he said, there's no fish in this fishbowl. Early on. <laughs> I mean, you people think you're going to go through something or that you have gone through something. <laughs> we have. We have, oh Lord. We have seen the snares. Spiritual hedonism. The seeking of pleasure in spiritual things. Spiritual hedonism. We sometimes call it spiritual pride. Huh? We have to remember that we don't really accomplish very much. The ego doesn't. The, the ego can lead us to, you know? But it is other that accomplishes. Yeah. Very present. Very present now. But the moment you take it for your pleasure, or your use, or your ego, you've lost it. Hmm? Even though your thinking may delude you otherwise, because you have known it for a moment. We seek, you know, a kind of an aggrandizement, sometimes without knowing it. <clears throat> In the Christian tradition, you know, uh, they seek the three persons of God, which is the power and the love and the will. These three aspects are equal in one. And in, in Buddhism, we have the uh, Nirmanakaya, the Sambhogyakaya, and the Dharmakaya, the three bodies of Buddha. And in Hinduism, we have the Brahman, Vishnu, and Shiva. There is the power, the God, power, and the builder and the destroyer. Yeah. Now, when we start out, we don't know what these three aspects are or where the search is going to lead us. And in this sense, we can say we are seeking nothing. We're just open. The seeking actually is the penetrating of oneself, of going in deeper and deeper and deeper. <clears throat> in, in this, we say other power, you know, but it, it is a power that belongs in the noumenal world rather than in the phenomenal world, the ego power. Hmm? Can I put it that way? Uh, 
said, difficult sometimes. Anyway, there was a priest in the Orthodox tradition, and he relates a story. And it has to do with duality and non-duality and how we think in twos all the time. And one night he was having dinner with some people, and he had just returned from Mount Athos. Now, Mount Athos is the, uh, the mountain on an island near Athens. And it is the holy mountain, and the monks lived there, lots of them. And he, anyway, this man spoke of a very disturbing sight that he had seen there. There was um, this monk, very gloomy, sad-looking monk, who was sitting outside his cell, and he was weeping. So this visitor asked him, Father, what is the matter? And the monk replied, Oh, everything is bad. Everything is sad. I have been on this mountain for 38 years, and I have not yet achieved pure prayer. And the storyteller here this evening at the dinner table goes on and says, now isn't that sad? This monk on Mount Athos, all this time, fasting and praying, meditating, not being with women, passing by all the delights of life, and he has not yet achieved in 38 years pure prayer. And there was another man at this table who responded, you know, that is a sad story. But the real sadness, however, is that after 38 years on a holy mountain, he still cares about achieving pure prayer. You understand that? Pure prayer was his goal. It occupied his thinking, and the whole 38 years were wasted. In 38 years of being on a mountain and living that kind of a life, surely he should have broken through to see something of the noumenal world and the heck with pure prayer. I mean, really, you know, it's kind of a stupid goal. No. You don't go to a place like a holy mountain or into a monastery or anywhere, you know, to find out what your notion or to prove your notion of what pure prayer should be or what anything else that you think should be. If you're doing that, you put yourself in a position of ordering the universe. All you're saying is, God, move over. Now I know pure prayer, and I'm going to take over. Sure, I'm in charge. I know what it is now. There's no humility. It is a spiritual pride that has taken over. And there is no humor. Yeah. You know, life is a delight. It's full of wonderful things. 
even sometimes the things you think are bad things are wonderful, you know, to enjoy existence. You're not going to have it very long. Enjoy it. I don't care if it lasts 150 years. That's not very long, you know. To laugh, you know, humor. You know, there is this story of um, the man who uh, was transformed and he had transcended. The last thing he saw, the very last thing he saw, was a smile on the face of a cat. Not the cat, just the smile. So Sokian, of course, he, was, he had a book that uh, he called the Cat's Yawn. Because of Cat's Yawn. Yawn. It's all he saw was the Cat's Yawn. <clears throat> now, okay, we acknowledge. In this world, we cannot get along without thinking. I couldn't be standing here talking to you if I couldn't think. <clears throat> you want to do something? You start thinking about it. You plan it, you know. And you plan also the desired result, which is <laughs> too bad. Because if you're not careful, you know, <clears throat> some people even think they have achieved the desired result just because they're following a plan in their head. And of course, that's where it's going to go. Yeah. In the Zen, you sit for meditation. You don't think in terms of doing. And you don't think in terms of knowing. You sit. And that's one of the most difficult things in the world. <clears throat> we got to be doing something. I'm just sitting here all this time I'm wasting. You know, I've got to be doing something. Hmm? If I'm not doing something, I'm not anybody. I've got to be somebody. Maybe the whole thing of sitting is just an escape from yourself. Don't let it be that. Don't avoid yourself, you know. You've got to go into yourself so you can't avoid. <clears throat> we stand with our backs to what we are seeking. Hmm? So you go in. You leave your attachments. And when you walk down the street or you walk here, uh, you carry your meditation. <clears throat> when you eat, you carry your meditation. You talk, you carry your meditation. <clears throat> by and by, there's this inner posture that comes about. It'll never leave you. <clears throat> now, he says these words, it is easy enough to forsake the world and become a bonsai. The difficult thing is to become a true Buddhist or as I say, a true Christian, or a true Suvi, or a true whatever. The thing is, be true. Man is a deceiver. He de deceives himself over and over and over. And if you tell him this, he doesn't believe it. Self-deception is cheap. And it may look like a shortcut. Hmm? Robert Frost, you know, he was our poet, laureate, 
He wrote a poem in which it says, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. Hmm? The seeking to be true, to be the true man of no rank. See, no rank, no higher, no lower, no rank. Lots of effort, lots of discipline, and much inner transformation is needed, and no one can do it for you. You may have somebody help you, help us get through our conditioning, and help us in some other ways, but you know, just as you're born by yourself physically, you are born by yourself in the noumenal world. You live this life for yourself. Someone can live with you, but not for you. You love for yourself. You go to the bathroom for yourself. You die for yourself. No one can do any of this for you. And to seek to find, to seek the solution of who you are, actually, who you are, is the greatest challenge that faces us. And out of it, of course, comes this tremendous blessing. Only if you're true. Only if you drop the pretenses. Be true. Be being. And now, <clears throat> may the peace and the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I do thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.